0: the goal of equipping the athlete and those coaching them with the physical, mental, and spiritual armor necessary to live their best life. Here's Coach Connors.
1: Welcome to our Christmas show with absolute empowerment. Uh, We are very excited to have on our show today Pastor Brian Moss. And Pastor Moss is a former East Carolina University football player. And also the pastor of Lake Como Church of Christ in Fort Worth, Texas. And we are so happy to have him on today. We want to welcome him and pastor. I'm going to go ahead and and just give the theme of today in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So pastor, great to have you in the house.
2: Glad to be here, Coach Connors. We appreciate the opportunity and, uh, looking forward to the opportunity to share today.
1: Yes, sir. Well, we want to talk first about your, uh, experience as a football player at East Carolina university. And, uh, The other thing that I'm I'm so proud of you and what you've accomplished. Uh, But uh, we also have some comrades uh, basically at the pulpit as well. Uh, The L train, Leonard Henry and then uh, Pernell Griffin. And uh, so, so proud of those men as well. Uh, So talk a little bit about uh, coming to East Carolina to play football and a little bit about your experience there.
2: Absolutely. Well, when I when I think about um, 20 years ago or so, about 22 years ago, I walked on uh, the East Carolina University campus as a student athlete in July the 11th, 1999. As an official student athlete, my mom, she encouraged me. Rather, she pushed me. She made me go to freshman orientation with all the other students she was not going to allow me to wait for orientation that happened alongside two days with the rest of uh the three days i think we did three days back then didn't we coach
1: three days
2: three days and orientation my my mother was not having it she said i needed to be a student athlete and so she made me do all the things that the other students did and uh, i think it was a blessing by the time I got on campus, the first thing that I realized was I was not in Kansas anymore. I think <laughs> what I what I mean by that is you know how it is, Coach C, when when these young guys are uh, blue chip athletes, I think is what they called them back then in the in the nineties, and you have this opportunity to play sports in high school and you excel and you you get receive all these accolades and these honors and you really are a big fish in a small pond yes sir But when you when you walk onto that division one football campus with grown men for the first time you realize that you are not in Kansas anymore you you have to readjust and find your way and one of those things that helped me kind of find my way during that season were uh, our coaches, my position coach. But if I'm honest with you, and this is going to sound funny because we're on your platform. The reality is I don't remember any of my, but one of my uh, position coaches, but I remember you more than anybody else because you pushed me harder than everybody else other than Steve Logan himself. And so you really you really reminded me a lot of my dad. Uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later and here's what I mean by that though. I have two brothers and two sisters and all of us were high level athletes. But when even though we have the same mother, same father, we are all different people, but my father knew how to motivate each one of us. And bring the best out of each one of us, even though we all had different personalities. And I watched you do that for so many athletes over the two or three years that I was able to work with you. And so but it was a big, it was a big transition. Coach, I know you have the temperature comfortable in your house but I think my wife just turned on the heat in my house. It's getting extremely, <laughs> extremely warm in here. Well, um, you, might be,
1: you might just be reminiscing on the running back at ECU, maybe. Maybe that's well, what happened. Well,
2: well, every time I see you, the I'm haunted with the memories of these summertime 300s that, that were some of the most trying times of my life, but uh, they made a man out of me. Um, but, you know, w- you know, the conditioning coming onto campus, When you're a big fish in a small pond, nobody pushes you. But once I got to East Carolina University, got engaged in the strength conditioning program, saw these tremendous athletes that I've never seen before. You know, coming out of high school, I was 6'2", 205, uh, at a small school playing wide receiver. I was the biggest, strongest, fastest thing these guys had ever seen. And by the time I got to East Carolina University, I was the second smallest, second slowest receiver on the team. So there was there was an adjustment to be made. Uh, and, and we made the adjustment to the best of our abilities. But one of the things, Coach C, if I have enough time, that I want to share is the story that gets untold about student athletes. Yes, sir. There are a lot of student athletes that come in as freshmen that don't finish as seniors just like in every every in every academic uh, class there are a lot of freshmen that enroll as freshmen on every campus the freshman class is always the largest class and typically the senior class is always the smallest class because everybody doesn't make it and the the kids that encounter what we'll just call trouble and and transition and trials along the way a lot of times those kids who get swept under the rug. And I remember when I, I got hurt, um, a series, I went through a series of injuries that continued to slow me down. Right. I, I tore a hamstring, I broke a foot, and uh, these things continued to slow me down. And I remember most of you who are watching this will remember this guy because he was a standout superstar, went on to play at the next level, Keith Stokes. You remember Keith Stokes? He, I
1: remember he, him very well.
2: well he, him and Flea were the smallest two guys on the team, but they had the biggest hearts out of oh, all right. of us. And uh, Keith Stokes walked up to me as I was sitting on the training table, and he said to me, hey, Moss, you're a good athlete, but if you don't take better care of yourself, you going not get swept under the rug. And uh, (laughs) that's what he said. And uh, I didn't know what he meant, but I learned soon thereafter that if you don't take better care of yourself, if you don't invest in yourself, in your craft, like the school, the program is investing in you, then you'll soon get swept under the rug. You know, if I'm honest with you, because of some of the things that was going on in my life, I got swept under the rug. And it wasn't it wasn't because the coaching staff wasn't trying to get the best out of me. It was because of where I was as a young man and injury after injury just put me in a situation to where football was taken away from me before I was ready. And Mm -hmm. if I'm honest with you, that transition made me grow up in a way that I never thought I would. And I want to if I can, I want to say to all the athletes who at a watershed moment, take a look in the mirror. If these coaches are still coaching you hard, it's because they care, it's because they love you and they're trying to get the best out of you. Don't take it as them trying to hurt you. Don't take it as them trying to degrade you. No, they're trying to figure out a way to motivate you because probably they see more in you than you see in yourself. So make a better decision tomorrow to invest in yourself at least if not more as much as the students or rather the program football team, the coaches, staff, and the, and the school are investing in you. And so, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, While I was there though, I met this beautiful woman. I think I told you guys about her. Uh, (laughs) If you ask anybody that went to ECU between 1999 and 2005, they'll tell you who we were because we were together like Lilo and Stitch, uh, Frank and Frank, peanut butter and jelly. (laughs) And, uh, and now we've been married for 17 years and uh, we have two, uh, two boys, one of which, Cozy, I'm trying to get in the weight room, man. You pray for him. He's 13 years old. He's more concerned about girls than he is about doing uh, deadlifts. And so, pray for us on that. We got to get him uh, on on a weight training program. He's a good-looking athlete, but uh, we got to get him get him on the straight and narrow uh, in that in that weight room. But um, I was able to graduate from East Carolina University, which is as a student athlete. That's the most important thing. You wanna you wanna get your education. God blesses you with the opportunity to get a free education. You want to take advantage of that, and you never know what God will do during the time that you're there. Um, right. Absolutely. So, after I transitioned out of football, um, I was already participating in campus ministry.
1: Yeah.
2: Where uh, there was a young man, his name is Rudy Burdett. He uh, was a Pastor of a small church in Greenville, North Carolina, a church that he planted. And he, before he started and planted that church, he was he was a businessman. He worked. He was a high level exec at Hewlett Packard. And he, for whatever reason, chose me to be his mentee, and he became my mentor. And I don't know who's watching this, but that probably outside of me becoming a child of God and marrying my wife is the best thing that ever happened to me. And I'll I'll tell you this, every young man needs somebody to walk beside him. Every young man needs a mentor. If if he's in athletics, he needs an athletic mentor, but you're going to need a mentor in life. And that's what Rudy Burnett was. And once he decided to start a church, he asked me to start a campus ministry and that really was the beginning of my journey into ministry, and uh, I'll tell you this, Coach C. Not to take too much time on the story, but <laughs> I remember distinctly on a summer, summer evening, we were sitting at a table talking, and I'm gonna say something I might not should say, uh, but I just want to be candid with you. It, it, never say never. Yeah. He said to me one one Sunday evening, he said, Brian. You've got a great voice and you've got the right temperament to be a pastor. I think one day you'll make a great pastor. And Coach C, I'm going to use the biblical term. I said, I looked at him right in his eyes. And I said, ain't no way in Gehenna that I would ever be anybody's pastor. (laughs) (laughs) And here I am now, 20 years into pastoring. And so you never say never but God has been good. He, uh, he's blessed us and uh, he's brought us a long way.
1: Yes, sir. Well, I, I have seen pictures of your family. I have not met them yet, but, uh, what a wonderful looking family you have.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much, man. They are beautiful. I'm going to get them up there to see you soon. Coach C. I, I tell you, my wife, she looks, you've seen my wife before because she was around me all the time in the athletic program. You probably won't remember her, but you, you've seen her before. Uh, but uh, she looks just like she did back then. I, I, I know a lot of people say that, but I'm not joking. She looks just like that. But I think I have two things on my hand, coach. My baby boy, um, I'll brag on my kids. They're both brilliant, both very smart. But I think my big boy, he's 13. He's 170 pounds. He's about 5'11". I think he's going to play defensive end. He, he come off the edge real good. All right. But, but my baby boy. He's an interior lime. He's a, a D-tackle, Coach C. <laughs> well,
1: there's, that a boy. there's a need for him, that's for sure.
2: Oh man, Coach C, there is a need for those, those, those boys that don't mind getting in there and mixing it up. This boy is eight years old. I'm not kidding. He is five feet tall and he's 104 pounds. Wow. Yeah, we, we can get, get somebody to take a look at him, get his measurables. Wow. Yeah. He's, a, he's, a, he's off the charts in uh in size and uh in intellect so uh the lord has really been good to us uh in as regard to our our family here in, in texas
1: well uh i help a little 10 year old from time to time and uh i think he's actually 105 pounds so i think <laughs> your son's a little bit ahead of the game now he did jump on a 30 inch box the other day which i thought was wow. impressive. yeah
2: well he's an athlete then
1: Yeah, I think so. I think he's going to be a tight end.
2: There you go, man. I love to see
1: We got to invest in these young men. We got to invest in these young athletes.
2: That's right. The sooner the better. The sooner the better. I think it's – let me say this, Coach. I think um, that at this stage of your life that you're still out there coaching these kids, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Don't don't ever quit.
1: No, I don't plan on it. Uh, Whenever I can help somebody, I'm going to try to do it. And I enjoy it. Absolutely. It's it's great to be doing something kind of not for the money anymore. You know, do it it, and you and you thank God for the opportunity to influence someone. And uh, uh, throughout my, I guess, career and into my later wisdom, I feel like I, I can actually influence someone in an even more positive way now based on what I've learned over the years. So and so I just thank God for that
2: absolutely absolutely
1: uh so i wanted to uh ask you about growing up uh, in your own family and your siblings your mom i know you have a story uh, about your father that i'm anxious to hear again i have heard the story it's a a wonderful story and uh, so i I wanted to give you an opportunity to uh, go ahead and talk about that
2: absolutely coach thank you again i have um my my story, my family is an interesting story. My my mother um, had me when she was 17 years old. She was dating my father, and I was able to go to my mother's prom, <laughs> to her senior prom. I was her date. Apparently, her and my father were not getting along at that time. <laughs> so she took her one-year-old to the senior prom, which was which is funny to look back at those photos. And uh, she had me in a little suit, and that That's was awesome. real cute and everything. And uh, my, my mother is, is a beautiful, brilliant woman. Uh, she ended up marrying my father, and they started a family together. I have two brothers and two sisters. I mentioned that earlier. Yeah. And b- by the time my mother was 22, 24, somewhere in that range, she already had four kids. And because she had me at 17, she made a decision to forego college because she had two, by the time she graduated, she had two kids, and it was, whether she was pregnant the second time when she she graduated, and it was a challenge to, to handle two kids, as you can imagine, and try to go to college at the same time. And so she made a decision not to go to college, which, if I'm honest with you, kind of put our family on a certain trajectory. You know, when, when you don't get the necessary uh, education, then it can put a cap on your uh, earning potential, especially in the 80s. And so my father was a fighter by night, and he worked in a factory during the day. He, he had a early on, he had a really promising career, but in order, you you know, this, anytime you're going to do something professionally or try to do something professionally, there's a certain level of commitment of time and energy that won't allow you to work a full time job. No
1: doubt. And
2: so he was able to pursue that for a short period of time and he was able to, fight on espn on some real big cards as as one of the under fights and yeah. he he made it all the way up to he knocked out on television the us champion and i don't know what level that would um translate to today but back in the 80s it was the united states champion and yeah. he was an up and coming guy knocked him out on us on espn but it was a warm-up fight for the champ. And so they had to schedule a rematch and he got knocked out in the rematch and it was a title bout. And so okay. uh, it, That kind of put his, you know, a damp on his spirit and his career. But as you can imagine, having to work a full-time job, train as a professional fighter, try to raise three kids at that time, um, be a husband, that was a lot of pressure on a young man. And and any anybody who's listening, you understand, if you're a man or you're of a certain age, you understand the pressures of just being a father, of being a husband, being young and trying to find your way at the same time. So it's an incredible amount of pressure. And he he kind of tried some things that he thought he could handle that he could not. Right. One, one of those things, Coach C was crack cocaine. And before Crack cocaine got a hold of my father. He was the best man I knew. It, from an eight-year-old perspective, my father was the best man I knew. He took me and my two brothers with him everywhere. And I mean everywhere. I don't remember any time before I was eight years old that when my father came home from work, that we didn't leave with him when he went out into the community. You you may remember there was a time, Coach C, when people actually spent time Outside in the community, you you remember those days? They called them uh, neighborhoods. Yeah. You remember neighborhoods? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, neighborhood. I was out
1: there, uh out there with my friends, playing every sport known to mankind in every field, every street that we could find because we were never inside the house.
2: That's right. Everybody lived outside. They were we were real neighborhoods. I don't know if we'll ever get back to that, but I hope we do. Uh, and so you know, the, the earlier years with my father were were wonderful, but I remember distinctly the first time my father was going somewhere after work. And he told me that I couldn't go with him. And I I never, I'll never forget that. And he and I, we actually talk about it from time to time. And I didn't know what was going on, but I knew something was wrong because my dad, even as an eight year old, I knew something was wrong because he always took us with him. And I had enough insight as an eight-year-old to know if he couldn't take us with him, that he was probably doing something he shouldn't have been doing. Right. And uh, he was. And it when it got a hold to him, it destroyed his life. It destroyed our family life. Um, he drifted for about six or seven years. So, yeah, about six or seven years. He ended up doing three years in prison. And uh, he lived this life in that community. So it wasn't like I didn't see my father for six years, but it was worse. I saw my father in that condition for six or seven years. Um, and I'll tell you, Coach C, no son should ever see his father in that condition. I told you he was a, he was a world-class athlete, fighter. And I remember distinctly one day, walking to school or walking to the bus stop. We didn't walk to school, walking to the bus stop. And they used to have these old uh, hatchbacks and they would line the road and people had them. Sometimes they would be abandoned. And I, I saw my father curled up in a fetal position in the back of a hatchback um, on my way to the bus stop. That's kind of how low he had gotten. And again, no son should ever see his father in that kind of condition. Right. But, you know, he he made a conscious decision. And I don't recommend this, and I'm not saying it was the right decision, but I understand why he did it. He made a conscious decision to do something to get himself locked up. And because he, when I asked him about it as I got older, he said, he said, Brian. I did what I had to do to get myself together. And I felt like then the best thing for me to do was to put myself in a position where I had to be alone and where I could only get drugs if I wanted to, because at this stage he couldn't control himself. And so he did that. uh, And he went, went away and he was 38 years old when he got out. And I think I must've been 14 or 15 And I was uh, finishing, going into the ninth grade, he got out. He said to me, he said, Brian, I made a lot of mistakes and I have destroyed our family. He said, but if you will let me be your father, I'll do everything I can to be the best man and best father I can be. And you would have thought to a 14 year old, that would have been enough. But when when you've gone six to eight years, kind of being the man of the house, and now you're fourteen and you're six foot two and you're 180 pounds, and you kind of feel like a man. You know, <laughs> you you feel like a man. And uh, I felt like I could make it without my dad. And I hated him for what he did. I, I hated him. He put my mother in a terrible situation, and he put us, Coach, see, We were homeless. We lived in our car. There were there were nights where my mother pretended to wash clothes all night in the laundromat so that we would have some place to stay. And my father did that to us, and it was hard for me to forgive him. Sure, he comes. He, he 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 and my mother they reconciled. So I had to live with this man who I had seen in this condition, and I was a jerk. I was a knucklehead. I. I I did not respect him because of what I knew he took our family through. And I I let him know it. No one occasion after he had apologized in his mind enough times. And as a 40 year old, I'm looking back. He only needed to apologize one time for it to be enough. I threatened him. And uh, I, I think that's my apologies. That's okay. That's my mother. I'll have to call her back my mother, I mean, I threatened him. And he looked at me and he said, that was a mistake, son. And he walked over to me. Oh, I forgot to mention, this happened in the mall. The story I'm telling you right now happened in the mall. I threatened him in the mall and uh, we were walking as a family and he looked at me, he said, that was a mistake. And he got close enough to whisper to me. And he said, what did you say? And I repeated myself. Coach C, that was probably the biggest mistake I'd ever made in my life. He proceeded to hit me in my chest so hard that it felt like my whole body cracked down the middle (laughs) from one side to the other. And he just walked away. So what did I learn in that situation? I learned two things. Number one, if you're gonna think consider yourself a man, you need to learn how to respect other men. That's first of all. Number two, I learned that I was not ready to try my dad. <laughs> that 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 what he had been through didn't take it all out of him. And so uh, now here's here's how this story ends. I have a younger sister who's 14 years younger than me, who's a product of my parents' reconciliation. Okay. By the time I was in my 20s my father had become my best friend so much so that he was my best man in my wedding. And so what, what he, he's been clean for, if I'm 42 now he's been clean for 30 plus years, uh, about 28 years. He's been clean for 28 years. And what he taught me through all of that was that if, if he could come back from that, then, then we don't have any excuse to come back from anything he yeah. taught me resilience he taught me how to make decisions how to apologize how to be humble and how to rebuild when life has torn you down and I I will always respect him and honor him and cherish him for the lessons that he taught me at his worst and the lessons that he taught me at his best.
1: Oh, praise God. And uh, that's really a wonderful story. Uh, and I, I give you credit uh, for your patience and your tolerance and your willingness to forgive, of course.
2: Well, that's after that's somebody right cracks your chest in half, it's, it's a whole lot easier to be patient. <laughs> right. yeah. I, can I if, if you have time, Coach, I'd like to kind of put a cap on that story. Sure. You give me two more minutes. The part of the story that I forgot Was remember I told you my mom decided not to go to college to take care of her children. Well, in 2016, I graduated with my master's degree. And my sister was graduating with her bachelor's degree. And guess what else? My mom had gone back to school and graduated Mm -hmm. with her bachelor's degree. And the university allowed all three of us to graduate at the same time on, and walk across the stage together, and that story. Now, my mother's going on to get her master's degree. She is a uh, what is her profession? She's a counselor for one of the local schools in Catawba County. This, my parents, Kosi, not just my dad, but my mother and my father, have instilled a "we won't quit" mentality in me. That I just hope and pray I can pass on to my own children.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I just think that it's a, a wonderful example of someone who has put off the old man and put on the new. And, uh, Absolutely. Of course, that's scriptural, and uh, you know what? A, what a great example of that. Um. So. Somewhere along the line, you've talked about this a little bit about these. These seeds were planted in you um, to progressively over time get you into the ministry. And I guess my question is, how did you end up in Texas?
2: Oh, uh, Texas. Is, Texas ended up in me, Kosey. Okay. <laughs> I I went to seminary at Southwestern here in, in uh, Texas. OK. And um, there's a small scholar, uh, small HBCU called Southwestern Christian College. And it's kind of in in my denomination, in my fellowship, is kind of the mother school for African American preachers. And when I was graduating from East Carolina University, uh, Pastor Burdett he he sat me down. He says he says, you know, Brian, if you're going to be a pastor in this fellowship, you need to go to this school. And I trusted him enough to just do what he told me to do. And so I went to Southwestern after I graduated at ECU. And I spent two years there in the seminary while I was here. Um, one of my friends was preaching at a local church and uh, he knew a guy in that city. That guy ended up having a stroke and they needed somebody to fill in um, and preach for him. Right. And so they called me and that was the first time that I started to preach from Sunday to Sunday and really kind of engage in ministry on a, kind. it wasn't full-time, but I served full-time. They didn't pay me full-time because I was a student, but as far as preaching, it was full-time, and that was in Fort Worth, Texas, and the school was in a small city called Terrell, Texas, kind of in East Texas, and uh, they were some very kind people who were very patient with a young, uh, big-headed preacher who thought he knew how to lead a church, but absolutely had no idea. Uh, they were patient with me. They were very encouraging. By that time i got married and uh, they loved on my wife and I. So I graduated from there and I took a job in Durham, North Carolina. Durham, North Carolina at the Southside Church in Durham, North Carolina. It's literally right across the street from North Carolina Central University, who just won uh, a national championship, if I'm not mistaken, yes, uh, mm-hmm. they just won a national championship. Beat the to Jackson State University, yes, uh, in in their bowl game and won the national championship. And uh, I am proud of them because a lot of those kids, not those kids, but a lot of the students and kids, while I was in Durham, they were part of my campus ministry, which is what I did there. They hired me to work full time as a campus minister and a singles minister. So coach C, I'm going to tell you, it was almost like I was living a college life again, man. It was, (laughs) it was, it was a lot of fun for the first couple of years, probably for the first four years until my wife and I decided to have children. And my wife said, Hey, we are not kids anymore. You're not going to be staying out all night with these kids. And you can't have 30 kids at our house every weekend because we got things we need to take care of. And so I, there was, there came a time where I needed to transition uh, into, uh, what I thought would be a senior pastor position. And we prayed about that. And God opened the door here at the Lake Como church of Christ here in Fort Worth, Texas. I'd never heard of that church. And, um, didn't know anything about them. But out of the blue, after my wife and I had been praying for about a month, they called and said, hey, we, we've we heard about you. We want you to come see about us. We're looking for a pastor and we think you'd be a good fit. And uh, as God would have it, he led me to be here almost uh, 2013, 2023, rather, would, be, would make 12 years. I came here in 2011. And so I was in Durham for eight years and I've been here for almost 12 years. And uh, that's how I ended up in in Texas. And I'll tell you, when you're a Cowboys fan and you get to live 20 minutes from (laughs) Arlington, it's a real good thing, man. It's a real good thing. One of my favorite things to do is to wait to about an hour and a half before game time and go on StubHub and buy nosebleed tickets. (laughs) (laughs) You can get them. True story, Coach C. I went to a Monday night game. It was the Cowboys versus the Redskins. Um, and I got pretty decent seats for $36. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's
1: pretty good right there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Two that's hours before good. the game. <laughs> yeah. And we won. And we won. Uh, which is always in question, no matter how good the cowboys are. We don't we don't we don't count our W's until the fat lady sings.
1: Gotcha. <laughs> Well, there's probably not a bad seat
2: in the house. Not in Jerry's world. I mean, every I've been in a lot of them. I, you may yeah. remember um, there was a guy I can't remember his name. Um, you coached him. He was a linebacker. Uh, he was in my college ministry when he was at UNC. You coach. You was his strength and conditioning coach. He was. He started in front of um, the kid from Greensboro.
1: Yeah, you talking about Bruce Carter? Bruce,
2: yeah, Bruce. While Bruce was playing for the Cowboys, he used to get me family uh, tickets. Okay, and I used to sit in the good seats while he was playing here. I missed those days, yeah. man. I,
1: I did not know that you knew Bruce, but uh, Bruce was incredible. Uh, what a great person! And uh, yeah, that's a whole story in itself. How he came into Carolina as a quarterback and a defensive back, and then he didn't even really want to play defense, and then we. Uh, worked him into a linebacker position, and then by the time he graduated, his numbers were the best numbers I've ever seen as far as improvement. I mean, he power cleaned 405. oh five. I'm Not a hand clean, a power clean. Oh, pow- wow. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, yeah. 11-foot broad jump, a 40-inch vert. Uh, you know, so, you know, he he really had – and he was down into a high four threes. what I had him at. Wow. Yeah, so he made incredible uh, – yeah. you know, when he first came in, he probably power clean like 240.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. And,
1: then, uh, and going back to Keith Stokes, I wanted to mention that too. Keith Stokes, his 40 time was not great. Not at all. His broad <laughs> jump was terrible. I was embarrassed at his broad <laughs> jump and his vert. And I would tell him that all the time. Yeah, yeah. When he got in a game. He became a different person. He could outshake people incredibly. And he would actually even outrun people. You and know. He could figure it out. No, Keith Stokes, you, got it done. He, he, you know, th- there are some
2: guys who just know how to perform when the lights come on,
1: Yeah,
2: and, and that was Keith Stokes. But e- even at practice, if you put Keith Stokes in a straight line, I could catch him, and you remember how slow I was. <laughs> <laughs> but if you put Keith Stokes in, in i don't use another old term, in a phone booth, nobody could touch him. Yeah. You couldn't touch him in a phone booth. And so he would wiggle and wiggle and wiggle until he found enough room and then he'd be out of there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I used to he love watching him play.
1: Yeah, he had a gift. He really did. I love to see him returning kicks.
2: Absolutely, man. We, it was. <laughs> I remember they used to, the whole stadium used to chant his name when he would get back there on punt return and kick return. Yeah. And uh, it was always you, – you just never knew what was going to happen. You, you never knew so yeah, we, we had some good times back in those days in in the late 90s and early 2000s yes, those sir.
1: are
2: those are the glory days
1: well uh, i want to go ahead and get get started on a little message here give you an opportunity to deliver a christmas message and uh i really uh think it's it's important for the pirate nation to know who you are and for you know the pirate athletic nation to know who you are uh And and what you continue to do, uh, basically, for the world, because I know you have a mission uh, program and uh, you minister to people all over the world. So it's incredible and uh, definitely want to recognize you for that. But I think the Pirate Nation is a nation of faith. And so uh, I want to go ahead and, and turn you loose to provide us with a little Christmas message. All
2: right. All right. Thank you so much, Coach C. I appreciate the opportunity. I, I realize this is a podcast, and so I'm not going to give you the full Sunday morning sermon. I'll tell people uh, this all the time. I, I, I have this uh, unique opportunity to share cross-culturally, um, not just uh, in in african nations in the caribbean but also even in america i speak a lot of times to predominantly white audiences as well as predominantly black audiences and every now and then i get invited to a preaching conference that's a predominantly white kind of audience yes. and they will ask me coach c if i could give them the african-american preaching tradition experience and I, and i have to explain to them that I wish I could but I cannot. You would have to join me on a Sunday morning in a historically black church <laughs> because preaching in the African American tradition is one part preacher, two parts church. <laughs> right. Two part congregation. And uh, but I love I love what I get to do and uh, this is not part of the message but I'll say to anybody who's watching any young man, any young woman, any any young athlete or, or just anybody, any stage of life, get yourself in a position where you can remember every day what you get to do and not what you have to do. And when you realize that today is what you get to do, you, you'll have a better day every day. And so there is a word from the Lord in John chapter 3. And this is a familiar passage of scripture, but I'll begin reading at verse number 14. And the Bible says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let's pray together. Most holy and divine father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to share In your word, we thank you for the holiday season. And Lord, we are grateful that Jesus is the reason for the season. Lord, thank you for being such an awesome God. And we also want to say thank you for Coach Connors and the man that he is, the life that he has lived, the example that he sets and has set all the days of his life. Bless him even now, Lord. Give him good health, longevity, and prosperity. Bless us now as we share the word of God. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. This is our prayer that we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. For many of us. This time of year can be difficult, especially in 2022. Our society, our community, our country has experienced unparalleled loss, even in holiday season, men and women around the world are grieving because all of us over the past two years have suffered some loss. Many, if not most, can remember smiles of friends who have gone on now, they can see faces and hear voices of loved ones that they have lost. And so for some, it just doesn't feel like Christmas. It's for many can feel lonely because you're looking for somebody that you have lost. But what I want to suggest to everybody who's watching, everybody who is in this room right now, is that although you may be feeling lonely in this season, you, my friend, are not alone because the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign, behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. That's what Isaiah promised. And when we pick up our Bible and we read Matthew's account of the gospel, he quotes this scripture and he takes it a step further by interpreting this name, Emmanuel. For family, Emmanuel simply means God is with us. And so no matter where you may be in this holiday season, whether you have decked the halls with boughs of holly, whether you are sitting around the fireplace, whether you are grieving, whether you are lonely or whether you are surrounded by family and friends, I want to tell you the good news in this season is that God is with us. Every believer can hold their head up in the holiday season because God is with us. I told my church, and I want to share this with you, most of us grew up being taught that during this time of the year, we should be thankful for whatever it is that we find under the tree. But what you and I as adults, the mature believer will not be consumed nor really care about what's under the tree, but we'll thank God for Jesus Christ who was hung on a tree. I know that that is imagery that every one of us needs to remember in this season because it will help us to keep Christ in Christmas. When you are sad, remember God is with us. When you're lonely, remember God is with us. When you are frustrated, remember God is with us. When you're going through a difficult season, remember God is with us. When you're happy, God is with you. When you have plenty, God is with you. When you're having your best day, your worst day, or any time in between, for every child, the reason for us to celebrate in this season is that God is with us. At our church, we celebrate this season by a series of sermons surrounded by this theological idea of Advent. Advent, simply put, is the idea of the coming of Jesus Christ. It's the coming of Jesus Christ. But often, Advent is relegated to the first coming of Jesus Christ. And family, you and I, we all ought to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ came. The world would be lost and without hope had not Jesus come that we would have be on our way to a devil's hell had not Jesus come. There will be no reason for celebration in this season had not Jesus come. And so just like the shepherds, just like the wise men, we should all come to see Jesus in this season, just like the wise men and the shepherds, we ought to worship him in this season. But I wanna encourage you by suggesting that Advent, Christmas doesn't just point us backwards into celebration, but Advent, Christmas, should point us forward into anticipation. I I, I know, I know, Coach C, we don't like to think about the fact that there's something else that we ought to be celebrating this season. Yes, we should celebrate that he came, but we should also celebrate that he is coming Again, that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about the advent. And you and I, we should live in the tension between celebration and anticipation. We should celebrate that Jesus came and everything that comes along with it. Gather the family together. Put Christmas gifts under the tree. Wrap your arms around those whom you love. But when you sit down, when you get a moment of quiet, remember That today, this season is not just to celebrate, but it also is to help us to anticipate. It would be a tragedy for us to spend our entire lives celebrating the fact that he came and not at the same time anticipating the fact that he is coming again. I know this may seem old school, Coach Connors, but I have to do this if you will allow me. Look, Christians should all celebrate Christmas. I believe that with everything that is in me, but we should do it looking backwards and looking forward because one day when this life is over, and the trumpet sounds, and the dead in Christ shall arise, and the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. We're going to all have to stand before God and be judged. And if we have lived in the tension between celebration and anticipation, we'll be right where God wants us to be. We'll hear him say those faithful words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the end to the joys of thy Lord. We should live between celebration and anticipation. Why? Because when Jesus came the first time, he came for two reasons. He came to call us and he came to cleanse us. He called us by the gospel. That is the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the good news that God loved us so much that he left heaven just to get us there. It's the good news that he demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. It's the good news that although the enemy had him bound in a borrowed tomb, he didn't stay there long because on the third day he rose with all power in his hand. That's the good news that calls us. And what God calls us with should also transform us. There's something about the gospel of Jesus Christ that should change us from the inside out. So he came first to call us, but not just to call us, but also to cleanse us. Cleansing. There are a lot of us, and I'm chief among us, who Christ looked at down through the annals of time and said, I love him, even though he doesn't look like me. (laughs) Christ could love people who didn't look like him and didn't live like him enough to lay down his life for them. His blood, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary, that that's why he came and that's what he uses to cleanse us. I'm grateful for the blood of Jesus Christ. Because without the blood of Jesus Christ, I would not have my sins washed away. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no true transformation, and heaven can never be our home. But when he came the first time, he came to call us and to cleanse us. Because see, he is coming again. What is he gonna do when he comes again? What is he gonna do? Why is he coming again? Well, if you live in attention, between celebration and anticipation you'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt and to know in certain terms he's not coming to condemn you because scripture declares in romans chapter five there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus that's good news that, that's that's incredible news because reality is coach see there are some things we say that we should be condemned for. <laughs> there are some things we've all done that should condemn us. Some places we've been, some things that we regret that should condemn us. But because of who Christ is and who we are in Christ Jesus, we therefore have no condemnation. But we got to live between the tension, celebration and anticipation. Because if you live there, there's no condemnation. But watch this. When you don't live in that tension, you see Christ coming to condemn. I work as a chaplain in a hospital part-time. I love that work. It's part of how I give back to my community here in North Fort Worth. But oftentimes when I'm called in to the hospital in the middle of the night, it's to visit with people who are dying, but didn't see death coming and they fight with everything in them. And it's a sad thing to know that the end is coming and to recognize when people are not ready. Sometimes people live as though they are not going to die. And when you live as though you're not going to die, you don't anticipate that Christ is coming again. And when you get in front of death and you recognize it for the first time, and you understand that you can't keep it from coming. You see judgment on the other side. But for those who believe in Christ Jesus, who have lived in the anticipation, in the tension between celebration and anticipation, they've lived life knowing that Christ did not just come, but that he is coming again. So he's not coming to condemn us, but when he comes, he's coming to claim us. That's good news for every believer. I grew up in an old church where there was no air condition. There was no padded pews. We had ceiling fans and windows open in the summertime. And we used to sing songs like this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere behind the blue. You know, those old songs that the Gaithers used to sing them. And and those songs remind us that although we can get comfortable here, we don't belong here. That this body that we live in is a temporal body. But if we can allow Christmas to help us to look backwards and forwards, at the same time we will receive a new body not made with man's hands and we'll be able to live eternal in the heavens with Christ our king that's the message for today christmas is about the coming of our lord and savior jesus christ and in this season i want to encourage you to live in attention between celebration and anticipation god bless you
1: yes sir So thankful for that message today. What a wonderful message. And I'm very thankful that I got to coach you at East Carolina University so that we could be talking today.
2: Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm grateful for it. But I still – I I was talking to my son yesterday about the winter conditioning because he's going through winter conditioning at school and with me right now. And (laughs) uh, he's going to have to run those 300s, Coach C. So we're going to have to pray with him. (laughs)
1: Well, I'm not sure anybody runs 300s anymore, but uh, some somehow it's transitioned into some shuttles and some other things. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, s- certainly, conditioning—I've always believed in that as foundational to discipline.
2: Absolutely.
1: Foundational to self-discipline, and it's when you get to the collegiate level, it may be the only thing that a man fears.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we certainly feared it, Coach C. I'm talking about up all night long. Can't wait. Three o'clock is coming and we got to get out there and get those 300 That's that well, was
1: a Blessing. Yeah, I, I really thank God every day for uh giving me the opportunity to work with all you guys and uh so happy to reconnect with uh uh with the guys that we have on this platform and uh God just keeps putting things in front of me. And um, I'm basically going to go ahead and honor that and uh, keep on keeping on with it. But thanks so much for the message today. I want to go ahead and sign off now, and we'll be talking sometime real soon. Uh, All right. have a Merry Christmas and a great time with your family. So uh, this is uh, Coach Jeff Connors signing off for Absolute Empowerment. Uh, Merry Christmas and have a Happy New Year. Uh, Thank you and God bless. We'll see you next week.
0: Uh, Merry Christmas. You've been listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on the Sports Objective. Join us every Monday night for a new edition of the show. Listen to the show pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Be sure to follow us on social media at the Sports Obj on Twitter and TikTok, at the Sports Objective on Instagram. Like and follow our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. As always, we appreciate you listening to the show and go Pirates!